What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, the Falcons avoid falconing themselves on Thursday night football to the sweet relief of Arthur Blank and his cherry red sport coat. The tease piece gets there with ease, along with some well-timed live bets. Then it's our weekly big look at the board of Sunday in the NFL. Even though it's week eight, a handful of do-or-die games on the slate for a variety of teams. Plus, why the Cowboys might be a mandatory bet for Sunday Night Football. What? Yeah. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Big NFL show on this Friday, but first we got to look back at Thursday night. Kind of a lackluster game, and if you're sitting there holding an over ticket, you're wondering how in the world that didn't happen for you. That being said, right, we talked about Atlanta being the team that you didn't want to bet on, but you kind of had to in last night's game. The teaser number gets there really easily. At one point, it might have been kind of dicey uh, as Carolina took a 14 to 6 lead. All that did was give us an opportunity to live bet the Falcons. And I know that's sort of a terrifying thought, but at plus six and a half, plus three and a half, we were able to hit both of those as the Falcons come back and get the win. Now, of course, it's the Falcons, so it couldn't be that easy, right? An extra point to go up nine goes wayward. And now we're talking about still a one-possession game, Carolina driving down the field, and Teddy Bridgewater, just an unfortunate decision on his part, right? Like, that felt like a fourth down type of a throw, not a second down when you've got a full minute left in the game. That being said, happy to be in the winner's side of things for Thursday night. Uh, You know, obviously a lot less dramatic than the Philadelphia Eagles win uh, from the previous Thursday. So it was kind of nice to just make a drink before the game and enjoy the game uh, versus after in sort of a medication type of a way. Uh, As for Sunday, right, this is the Friday show. We run through the Sunday board, talked about all these matchups early on in the week on Tuesday. We'll talk about what's changed, what's the same, and then obviously a lot of injury stuff that we have to keep an eye on for this Friday and Saturday as we move forward. So let's pick this thing up on Sunday. One of my favorite games is never the right word, right? Because it always just feels like if you say it's your favorite game, it means that it's kind of a lock, if you will, like one that you're really, really excited to bet on. And I think at this point, you know, even if you're sort of new to sports betting in the NFL this season, we're eight weeks in and you already know, right? Like there's no such thing as locks. There's no such thing as having a favorite bet because the minute that you have a favorite bet, it goes south in a hurry. But for me, Detroit plus three here is a number that I don't just, I don't, quite understand here right like I have this game lined at about a pick so I feel like we're getting a fair full bonus three points essentially where you know in a lot of spots okay it's two and a half and it's sort of ticked back and forth between three and two and a half depending on where you look and for me this is a line that had to be built off of Darius Leonard's return now he's quite likely returning so that of course makes sense so there shouldn't be any adjustment for you know going forward if he is officially announced announced as in the game 
right? Like it's not going to go up to three and a half or four with the announcement of him playing. So the assumption here, of course, you know, we've been making a, all kinds of bets against the Colts the last few weeks because of his injury in large part. And in this case, you know, obviously it's frightening that he's back, right? It's not the type of thing where it's like, okay, well, we're still going to be hitting the Colts thinking that we're getting the same team that we were getting when they were without Darius Leonard, right? But for me, the Detroit Lions are a buy team for the sort of foreseeable future here, right? I think we are getting value in this game. I think we got value last game. And then, you know, going forward, hopefully we can get a point or two of value. At this point, like, that's the kind of, kind of the most you can ask for in the NFL right now is really just one or two points, especially around a key number. So if Detroit plus three is available, it certainly has to be a bet here, right? Like, this is a team that you can't, you can't judge this team based on their full season at this point, right? Because if you did, you'd have all sorts of sort of false information like their record and their general offensive efficiency without Kenny Galladay, right? Like it doesn't make sense to add that up into the mix. It doesn't make sense to add up, you know, a broken down secondary that they had to deal with in week one against Chicago, right? Like that goes a bunch of different ways in favor of Detroit if they had either Galladay or, you know, the vast majority of their secondary, which was out in that game. So, you know, we talked about that a couple of times over the course of the week, both here and on the On Blast podcast net- network with Sheldon Alexander. Um, and so for me, I'm looking at this Colts team and I'm going, okay, their wins are home wins against the Vikings, Jets, and Bengals, and then a road win against the Bears on a day when Nick Foles just didn't have it. And we know those days exist for Nick Foles, right? You just sort of have to catch them at the right time. Of course, we'll talk about him in a moment. So, you know, what has Indy done here to sort of earn this road favorite against a team that I think is pretty good. Now, maybe the market doesn't think that the Lions are pretty good, but that's kind of the point, right? You want to grab that team that the rest of the world, so to speak, doesn't see as being that good, right? Isn't thinking that highly of, right? But I'm still willing to take the Lions here against what I did believe to be sort of a 10th through 15th type of a team. And I kind of think the Lions are about a 10th through a 15th time, you know, type of a team as well. And so when we're talking about, okay, well, what range can we expect these two teams to play at? For me, I think we're going to get kind of the best of both teams, to be completely honest with you, right? Like, I don't think we're going to get some sort of lackadaisical effort with the Lions, right? They've just won a couple of games on the road. Now they return home and, you know, the success has not quite been there this season for the Lions at home, right? Road wins against Jacksonville, Atlanta and the Cardinals and home losses. Uh, You know, again, obviously the most painful one to the Bears, you know, dicey game where they're up 14-0 early against the Saints just hasn't gone well for them at home to this point in the season. So I think you're going to get full focus for a team that's probably feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Like, I don't know where the Colts heads are at, but I think this is a team that's just going to be sort of generically consistent throughout the season. And it's really going to come down to whether Phillip Rivers throws them out of games. Could that be the situation in this one? I mean, we'll have to see, but right now I trust Matt Stafford more than I trust Phil Rivers. So from a coaching standpoint, 
Do I love that matchup? No, not necessarily, right? But I think at this point, Frank Wright getting a little more credit than maybe he deserves. And certainly, you know, I understand the fright of Matt Patricia. That guy's awful. But if this team can keep their good starts up and just avoid the complete meltdowns that they have late in games, which they have been able to do over the last couple of weeks, I think this is a team that can reach their, you know, their pinnacle, if you will, that like as good as they can possibly be which you know in the end may not actually be that good but I think in a situation at home against the Colts here getting three points it's worth a bet to see if they you know to to see if we can find out right to see if they can do it uh Rams and the Dolphins here talked about this a bunch this week uh Tua the return right we know he you know it's obviously a big deal that he's coming back and for me it's all about sort of trusting the coaching staff in this case right now none of these NFL teams can you just fully and blindly trust with regards to a coaching staff but I'd like to think that the one thing these teams or at least any of the good to mediocre teams do is they at least have a coach that knows the locker room right like sure things can get out of hand once we get on the field and we start making all of these kinds of crazy in-game decisions uh you know and defensive meltdowns and all of that kind of stuff right like that's that can happen at any time and you know sometimes that's a reflection of coaching and sometimes it's not right like Todd Gurley not falling down before the end zone really more of a girly thing than a coaching thing now that we've sort of seen what's happened uh, you know, what happened via the mic'd up uh, with Matt Ryan. And so for the Dolphins here, I trust that Brian Flores knows what's going on with his team and that this team will get a lift from Tua playing. And it's going to be that type of thing where we talk about when a key player goes down, whether it's, you know, hockey, basketball, or football, right? The rest of the team rises up and plays better in that one game after. In this case, it's not an injury, right? But it's the support of Tua. Now, maybe the team hates this kid. That's a possibility, right? I just don't think that they would go to him if the team hated him, regardless of what they see in practice, right? Sure, part of this is I believe they've seen in practice the throws that he's capable of making like he was making in his career at Alabama. And so... I just think that that combined with the fact that he, you know, Flores knows he's not going to lose the team, and this is their best chance to be a good football team, right? To win, let's say, 10 games. And so I'm going to trust that. And in a market right now that kind of doesn't know what to make of this, right? Because you're looking at this game and going, okay, Seattle, you know, three weeks or so ago was a five-point favorite on the road and that had been bet down from seven now they ended up covering that game but right we talked at length about the box score and that one being sort of fraudulent in that the Dolphins certainly deserve to be in that game and if you look speaking of box scores at teams that have you know not stopped Russell Wilson necessarily because lord knows as you're watching that game you're going like (laughs) no one can stop Russell Wilson in key situations but throughout the game they did the best job defensively of any team this entire year so I think we're getting sort of an underrated defense because there isn't a ton of sort of brand name stars tons of money spent on it but not a ton in the way of brand names a defense that's underrated and an offense that could very well be much better or at least a little bit better with Tua in the lineup and a team that hopefully is buying in right a lot of times especially when you announce this you know 
switch, first of all, you, you know, you hear from Fitzpatrick and he's, you know, talking about how bummed out he is, but you never heard from anyone else going, yeah, it was a surprise to us or, you know, this, that or whatever, right? And maybe that's a bad thing because maybe we're not hearing them all go, yeah, no, we've been waiting for this. Tua gives us our best chance. They're not going to say that, right? They have respect for Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he's done for them over the last couple of years. So I think their sort of silence here is a little bit golden in that, you know, they don't want to offend Fitzpatrick. They want to sort of keep everything in-house. But I think this is a team that knows that their best chance going forward is with Tua. Now, does that guarantee them a cover this week? No, certainly doesn't. I have some concern over the run defense for Miami, but... Again, when we're talking about bye weeks here, right? Like, what is a bye week really for? And for me, we build in these bye weeks and, you know, the bye weeks into the spread because, you know, we talk about, oh, they're rested, right? Like, they're getting guys healthy. They're doing this, that, or whatever. For me, it's a chance for the coaching staff. Like, the coaching staff doesn't go to Cabo on the bye week. The coaching staff pours over what the team is doing poorly, right? And so they knew going into the bye week that the offense could be improved. I'd like to think they knew this anyway, by Tua being in the lineup. But moreover, the defense, right? Brian Brian Flores is a defensive guy, right? They've invested all of this money into the defense from a talent standpoint. So I'd like to think that they went into the bye week and were like, what are we really not good at here? What do we need to clean up? And I think for them, that's run defense. Now, sometimes run defense is a matter of you know, effort, it's a matter of tackling, and that's sort of maybe one of these things where it's like, okay, back to fundamentals here, you know, in our week of practice leading up to this game, and that would help too, but some of it may be scheme as well, and we've seen a bunch of different examples of teams going into their bye week, cleaning up something that was wrong with the team, right, or sort of unleashing something new. In this case, you know, the something new is Tua, But the cleaning up here, I think, is the run defense. So I think you're going to get sort of a better effort from this defense against the Rams than, you know, what we've seen here statistically uh, over the last few, you know, games. Basically the entire season up until this point for Miami. So I like Miami plus the three and a half. Sort of interested to see where this line goes, right? Does it tick up to four? Are people buying in onto a, are they not? For me, it sort of seems like the common, you know, recreational better is sort of you know leaning to not loving Tua all that much and it does sort of feel like that would be the you know lane that people would take in this situation right like the how could they you know break something up that was going so well I mean they were three and three and Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't exactly lighting it up so they weren't exactly breaking up the Beatles here so for me you know It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Plus three and a half, certainly good enough. Uh, I think it'll be quite telling if this thing moves down to plus three. But again, right, is it all that different from the Seattle line from a couple of weeks ago? Why is, you know, why is it only a one point, one and a half point sort of credit difference here? Is that because, you know, the market sort of realizes that Tua is an improvement over Fitzpatrick? All things uh, that are interesting to look at. No real injury issues from a sort of questionable, maybe, maybe he won't play, maybe he will play type of thing for either of these teams, at least none that are, you know, that relevant with regards to kind of keeping our eye on. Uh, Las Vegas and Cleveland. Is this a buy low on the Raiders? Is this a buy low on the Browns? I've been tossing back and forth this all week. Fundamentally, a lot of this comes down like every football game ever, to offensive line versus defensive line. And the Raiders obviously got really jammed by the NFL last week. 
in having to play that game, given the fact that their entire offensive line was in something of a quarantine, right? Just working Zoom meetings. You're just never going to be ready to go on Sunday if you've been Zoom meeting it for a couple of days, right? We've seen that by and large that that has been the case in all of these COVID situations, right? And so, of course, Tampa Bay, not a team you want to mess with when you're not at your absolute apex, right? So there's a very real sort of buy-low opportunity on the Raiders, assuming they get Trent Brown back, which is going to be critical if he's going up against Miles Garrett, who, by the way, has also missed practice over the last couple of weeks as well. And so we need to figure out whether he is necessarily going to play, whether we can back Cleveland. And why would we back Cleveland? Because the number's actually pretty short here, right? Like, I have Cleveland rated higher than the Raiders. I certainly think that there's a home field advantage to a degree here, right? Like, we we know it's not three, we know it's not two and a half anymore, but there has to be something to be said for the Raiders flying cross-country, going outdoors in what's going to be an incredibly windy day, right? A lot of games this week going to be affected by wind for those totals people out there. You know, you should know that these numbers have already been banged down towards the under, so you're a little late to the party if you're just going to, you know, bet the under in all of these wind games. That being said, right, like who's more likely to succeed offensively, the Raiders or the Browns, right? They're very similar teams, though, in that, like, both quarterbacks pretty dicey, right? Like Derek Carr in the wind. Okay, you probably don't want that. You know, that's going to make it difficult for the deep shots to Henry Ruggs, which is kind of their really only explosive type of a play. Whereas Baker Mayfield, do you want him in the wind? Well, that sounds a little sketchier too, but I think he's got a stronger arm than Derek Carr. And they run an offense that's a little bit more intermediate, where it's sort of more consistent 20-yard throws, where with the Raiders, it's like we're either throwing at 50 yards or we're throwing at 5 yards. And so, again... You know, what are we really taking from either of those sorts of theories, right? For me, the number came down from three to two and a half for one of two reasons, right? It was either money, right, where, you know, Vegas plus three was enticing to people, or it came down a half point on the announcement of Odell Beckham Jr. being out for the season. Now, for me, I don't know that Odell Beckham Jr. at this point in his career matters all that much to the point spread. To me, this is a guy who is sort of, at this point, an above-average wide receiver, but we've seen numerous times, whether it's Devontae Adams going out or other such receivers, you know, in certain cases, it just doesn't matter. In the case of if you have a really good quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, it just doesn't matter. In the case of if you have some replacement-level receivers, it just doesn't matter. And in the case of the Browns, we watched him go out and early in that game on Sunday against the Bengals, and Baker Mayfield didn't miss a beat. So why we would think after a week of practice with this sort of new unit, if you will, that he's going to miss a beat now? Like, maybe because the Raiders' defense, I suppose, is theoretically better than the Bengals, but I don't know that that's the case, right? Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator there, has basically ran that defense into the ground the last three years, and we haven't really seen anything of that to make us think otherwise, right? It's not like they shut down the Chiefs when they went and beat the Chiefs in KC, right? Like, that was just a shootout that got high variance, and they ended up, you know, winning in the end. If that game was two minutes longer, who knows if that would have even been the case, right? The win against the Saints, box score-wise, pretty fluky, getting dominated from a yards-per-play standpoint, but just making the right plays at the right time. So these are things that you can't necessarily rely on, and two, I don't want to say fraudulent wins necessarily, but two very shaky ones, right? And now they go out 
into the cold, having to deal with Cleveland, a team that we like a little bit more than most, and especially if we're getting a half point of value across a key number. Now, if this number was higher, if Cleveland was playing Jacksonville or something along those lines, and the Beckham news comes out, like, would that be worth sort of two points? Maybe, but around the key number of three, it's only going to be worth a half point. And again, I think that might be an overreaction, certainly after a, you know, a game like this, um, where they win dis, you know, without him even being in the lineup for the vast majority of the game. So for me, it's a lean to Cleveland minus two and a half, but we have to find out whether Miles Garrett is okay. Now they've talked about how it was just precautionary, just to be safe. But at this point, he is in the rare category here in 2020 of game wrecking defensive players. Uh, on the offensive side, Obviously, both teams want to run the football. Both teams need a healthy offensive line to do so, right? Um, we're potentially getting back Wyatt Teller if you're a Browns fan, right? Um, again, talked about are we getting Trent Brown back if you're the Raiders. Again, a bunch of different injury-moving pieces here that I think may not affect the number, but I think it's going to affect how you want to bet this game. All in all, it's a tease piece, right? Two and a half, up to eight and a half, you know, for as much as maybe we end up liking Cleveland in this when this, you know, all the injury stuff kind of shakes out at plus eight and a half. This is, of course, from a you know numerical standpoint, a probable, you know, probabilistic standpoint, uh, a side, you know, a tease piece that I think is pretty valuable. Minnesota and Green Bay. Green Bay, every single week, it feels like weekly money move comes against the Packers. Maybe it isn't the case, right? But it was last week. How did that work out? Not great with the sort of sharp money coming in on Houston that led us astray there as well. Well, it's happened again. This number's come off of seven down to six here uh, based on sort of a big move on Thursday here from some you know big money players, so to speak. Um, speaking of big money players, doesn't look like Aaron Jones going to be in the lineup. How much does that? That really matter, right? Probably matters in a game that is a coin flip, a pick'em game is probably where you go, okay, that's going to be significant. Is it going to be significant relative to how much the Packers win by once we get into that sort of touchdown spread type of thing? You know, I don't see that. So, you know, you're getting Aaron Jones out of the lineup, you're getting Dalvin Cook back into the lineup for Minnesota, and sure, he has the capability and the history of kind of running wild on the Packers. So that should sort of give you a little bit of pause here. But for me, you know, I still think it's worth a small bet minus six on Green Bay. And I'm definitely using Green Bay in teasers as well, just needing them to win outright. The sort of scary thing in all of this is this could be Minnesota's Super Bowl, right? Like this is their last stand, if you will, because like a lot of these games here, and I know we're sort of still relatively early in the season, but a lot of these teams that have had starts that they didn't necessarily envision going one in five, two and five, you know, one and six, etc. It's you hit these divisional games here in the middle of the season. And in the back of your mind, you go, man, if we could win this game, like we might have a chance. But really for closer to the front of your mind, you're going, man, if we lose this game, like the season's done, toast, finito, you know, we're out. And so this just might be that situation. If Minnesota loses this game, it just goes all downhill from here. Now that doesn't really help us in this game individually. It really is just a matter of, did they take the bye week to focus on this game to give themselves 
their best chance of winning and getting back in the season? Or did all of the injury news sort of pile up with, you know, Daniel Hunter obviously being out for the year, the trade of Yannick Ngakwe, the injury to George Aloka, the, uh, you know, Cameron Dantzler being out. All of this stuff is this sort of piling up from a defensive standpoint where it's now affecting the offense. Is that going to you know result in Kirk Cousins forcing throws? And you know what happens when Kirk Cousins is forcing throws. So for me, again, I still like the Packers here in what I think ends up being quite a shootout. Um, could the weather be a factor here? Potentially. But again, if you're the Vikings, that actually may help them. Not that they were necessarily worried about Aaron Rodgers throwing in any kind of wind I think at this against this defense he can throw all day long um, and might have to if the Vikings are sort of capable of scoring you know the way that they did in that first game now a lot of their scoring came at the end of that first game that first matchup in week one um, where the Packers won relatively easily but even then couldn't kind of put it away in in sort of an easier fashion right it got kind of dicey towards the end but for me still liking green bay um but again you have to be aware right like you have to be aware of sort of the money moves um obviously sort of the betting percentages while not like a full-on crutch but like there's a reason the money has moved it down where Green Bay is getting so much consideration. And yes, you know, everybody got away with it last week and the books got crushed, you know, in part because of that game. It's just the type of thing that's just not going to happen every single week. It just isn't that easy. Or maybe it ends up being that easy. But we'll take a shot with the Packers. Nothing significant, nothing, um, you know, serious necessarily. Uh, New England and Buffalo. Um, Talked about this on Tuesday, how it's just, this is very much like Minnesota going to Green Bay here, right? Where it's like, man, we are just about out of this, but if we could get this win and get within shouting distance of the division leader with a win under our belt for sort of tie-breaking purposes, especially a road win, right? Like this might be it for the Patriots in the same way that it might be it for Minnesota. And I just trust the Patriots to have a better plan. I certainly think the opponent isn't nearly as good, right? Like, who right now, as bad as the Patriots looked last week, like, who would you trust more, you know, Bill Belichick or Mike Zimmer, you know, with that team he's got over there in Minnesota, given all of, you know, what we've seen from them, um, you know, organizationally with regards to the injuries and all of that kind of stuff and the trades. You know, to me, I prefer Bill Belichick. Who do you trust more, Green Bay or this Buffalo Bills here in the state that they're in? Well, I certainly trust Green Bay more, and I don't trust the Bills. And so this line is four, whereas, you know, it's six over in Green Bay. Like, that's not a huge difference, considering we like the underdog more in the Patriots, and we dislike the favorite more in the Bills. So for me, just like right off the bat here, I have more faith in the Patriots to come out and sort of fend off the grim reaper of their season here and give themselves at least a chance to get back into it the rest of the way from an on-field football standpoint talked about it with Sheldon on Thursday hopefully caught it talked about Cam Newton and him throwing for less than 100 yards last week and I said to Cam, I said to Sheldon I said if Cam throws a hundred you know 100 yards or less this week I think the Patriots win the game because I think what they're doing is working. And I think what they're going to do is just literally run the bleep out of the ball. 
wind in Buffalo, you're not going to be shocked, rain in Buffalo, miserable conditions. And we haven't seen anything out of Josh Allen and that offense in general that indicates that the weather is beneficial to them, right? This isn't, you know, a Bills team that wants to slop it up with you. It just isn't. That's not the way that they're built. Now, they're getting a little bit healthier on defense. But again, is that going to sort of change, um, you know, what we saw against Kansas City, which was just an absolutely helpless run defense? Now, they might be able to stack the line and do all of that kind of stuff where they were more afraid against the Chiefs to get beat deep, right? Like they're playing in more of an outer shell. That's not going to be the case here for against the Patriots. But that might leave at least a couple of opportunities for Cam to find somebody with sort of lesser coverage, right? Like it's going to be a little bit easier on the two, three, four, five completions that we really just need out of Cam, you know, down the field, right? Sure, there may be some screens or maybe something along those lines, you know, shorter passes. I'm talking sort of down the field type throws, could be a little bit more open if Buffalo is sort of sensitive, if you will, to how bad their run game has been. So for me, I'm on the Patriots here, plus four. Uh, they'll be included in the money line on Sunday as well. Um, again, last stand, I trust the Patriots a lot more. Teams that I don't trust, the New York Jets, ladies and gentlemen. 19 and a half point underdogs here. And I know maybe you're thinking, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to take the Jets and lay all those points? Or or I should say, or lay all those points with Kansas City? I'm going to do neither of those things. I'm going to pretend this game doesn't exist. I'm going to use it in a survivor pool, potentially in the circus survivor pool. Not that that's sort of any big news, right? We're sort of kind of, you know, we've done some spicy work over here in the last two or three, two out of the last three weeks anyway that getting a little sneaky here is probably not the right play when you're getting sort of this free bingo space, if you will, um, betting uh, against the Jets. So why would I bother with this game, right? Like it's not a Sunday night game. It's not a standalone game of any kind. It's just a random one o'clock Eastern game that no one has to pay attention to if they don't want to. And why would you necessarily want to, right? Like the case to be made for Kansas City is, you know, when these teams are big, you know, have big spreads. They're big favorites. Why would they want to play for 60 minutes? Well, the case is Le'Veon Bell, right? Like him playing more minutes in the fourth quarter, potentially getting his first touchdown, right? Like making the new employee feel good about his new job, which is something that any organization should do. Now, he was given some carries last week, did okay with them. But if we're talking about revenge here, like that he, you know, left that team hating that team he got to that team <laughs> hating that team and so you know I can see Andy Reid being the type of guy you know this is a guy who in blowouts will run plays so that offensive linemen can catch touchdowns just to kind of you know keep the vibe make everybody feel good about themselves so if you think that Kansas City is just going to kind of phone in the fourth quarter and not do anything and that Le'Veon Bell is not going to get some work in I think you're sadly mistaken because, listen, he needs to get work in, right? Like, he's played a little bit here for the Jets this season, but, like, getting involved in the Kansas City offense, right, might keep Patrick Mahomes out there a little bit longer. And so that's not ideal if you're sitting there looking for a backdoor situation when it's 31-10 to 10 in the middle of the fourth quarter, right? So 
All in all, I think I would have to lean to Kansas City at minus 19 and a half, as sort of crazy as that sounds. This day and age, right, like these games are a lot more like college football than they were even sort of five, ten years ago, where a big spread like this is you just sort of take the points and, you know, not watch the game and just kind of hope for the best. So in this case, I think this is... You know, I think Kansas City gets a 21-point lead at some point, and I just don't see them necessarily taking their foot off the gas. And, of course, the Jets' offense, right? This isn't a team that's terrible, but at least has that sort of frisky, like, Gardner Minshew-type quarterback element where, like, he's going to play with a broken hand. You know, Sam Darnold, four yards of offense last week in the second half against the Bills. Pittsburgh and Baltimore here. I think it's really easy to just grab Pittsburgh in those points, right? Like, isn't that just sort of the thing that everybody's going to do here? And this isn't strictly sort of a contrarian side here, but in a lot of ways, maybe it kind of is, right? I just think that there's a possibility that this is the best defense that Pittsburgh's played all year. There could be that sort of Ben Roethlisberger turning the ball over, making faces type thing. Keep in mind, right, they turned the ball over three times last week against Tennessee. And so, you know, when we look back at that game, you go, would you bet Tennessee again? I would, especially if you had told me that they Tennessee was going to be plus three in the turnover margin. In this case, right, like who's to say that they're not going to be plus three in the turnover margin again? I think this is obviously a Baltimore team off a bye. John Harbaugh, really good, you know, nine and three against the spread. Uh, I believe is a stat I saw this week coming out of a bye. He's a guy, right, who will have a plan. He will have maybe a trick play, maybe a special teams type thing, right? Like this is the kitchen sink game for Baltimore in the way that the Kansas City Baltimore game, which is really the only vaguely comparable game on the you know, Ravens schedule this year was a kitchen sink game for them. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of these things as kitchen sink type games. And a lot of the cases it's, you know, team that's got a poor record needs to sort of save their season. But in this case, I think it's a team that's already one game behind the Steelers in the loss column, you know, lost the game to Kansas City. So, you know, they're tied in the loss column there. But obviously, tiebreakers going to Kansas City. Like, this is a game that Baltimore cannot lose. Pittsburgh, in theory, can't afford to lose it, right? Because they just all, all that happens if Pittsburgh loses is these two teams are tied in the loss column with one loss, and there's still a Thanksgiving night game in Pittsburgh left on the schedule, right? So you can kind of look back at that. And these two teams are coming in different scenarios, right? Baltimore off the bye, well rested, in theory, should be pretty healthy. The like injury report's been a bit dicey. Maybe no Mark Ingram, but again, they've got enough depth from running back that that's not going to be an issue I don't think whereas Pittsburgh right it's starting to pile up here right like the attrition is happening the tough games that they've played over the last three weeks right a game that was closer than really we thought it was going to be against Philly you know Cleveland game that was sort of a big emotional win for them and then a game last week where they sort of started to peter out in the second half against the Titans now is that going to you know carry over to Baltimore it's possible right? Like, I assume you're going to get sort of the best out of Pittsburgh in the first quarter, but it could, it might not be there this week for Pittsburgh, right? Like, it's tough to get up that intense, you know, that level of intensity in that fourth straight week, whereas Baltimore fully, you know, sight set on this game, probably, frankly, since the Kansas City game on Monday night. So all eyes here on Baltimore. I think that number at minus four is more fair than maybe you think it is. And I'll be taking Baltimore minus the four here. Again, Lamar Jackson, not a guy that Pittsburgh has seen all season and not a guy 
who, again, remember, there was supposed to be a bye week for Pittsburgh leading into this game. That Tennessee-Pittsburgh game, right, getting postponed led to this disadvantage that Pittsburgh has here in one of the games of the year for them, right? And so that may not have mattered against Tennessee, but this is where that postponement matters, so give me Baltimore minus the four in this one. Tennessee and Cincinnati here. This just feels like a Derrick Henry runs for a trillion yards type of a game. And, you know, Tennessee defense, obviously sort of sketchy. Cincinnati, you know, sort of known for potentially being this like backdoor cover team, which is kind of interesting because like how many backdoor covers do they really have? And the answer is, I think like one right like backdoor means that you've been getting blown out or that you've been outside of the spread and then you've come in late and just gotten in under the wire which is what they did on that Thursday night against Cleveland but these other covers that they've had in losses right tie game to Philly certainly not a backdoor cover they led throughout most of that game you know 21 point lead to Indy certainly not a backdoor cover considering they were never not covering that game same sort of situation uh you know even just last week where it's like, no, that they were leading the game late. Like they've gone back and forth with the team and sure they weren't covering then they were, then they weren't, then they were, then they finally, they weren't. But like, that wasn't a backdoor, like Joe Burrow running a two minute drill down 10 type of a thing. Now, maybe they're sort of due for that against a Tennessee defense that can be pretty sketchy. And again, Tennessee coming off of that Steelers game, hard fought game, you know, disappointing loss. Is this going to be like Minnesota coming off of the loss to Seattle and going home to face a team that they thought they could beat in the Falcons, right? Is this going to be a letdown spot? I don't necessarily see that being the case because they have that ability to just turn the ball, turn, you know, turn around, hand the ball to Derrick Henry, and he can just go for 200 yards. So as much as I'm sort of loathe to like a road favorite, I think that's the side that I'm going to be on in this one because the real only case from a football standpoint or anywhere near a football standpoint for Cincinnati in this one is backdoor Joe Burrow, which is a myth in and of itself. Uh, Chargers and Broncos off the board right now. Obviously some COVID-19 positives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this thing widely at minus three with some juice on the favorite. So it looks like we'll probably be able to get a plus three and a half on the Broncos, you know, not a team that I want to make a habit of betting on, right? I do not care for Drew Locke. I do not care for Vic Fangio, but I also don't care for Anthony Lynn on the road in sort of unfamiliar conditions here with what's going to be not necessarily the coldest game ever in Denver, right? Like they're catching a bit of a break, relatively mild temperatures um, forecast for that day. But you've got a team and not yet nobody's talking about in the Chargers. And what I mean by that isn't necessarily nobody's talking about them in a positive way because that's true too. I think this team's really good potentially, right? We've seen them compete with the highest echelon of teams. But what nobody's talking about is the displacement this week from, you know, I think a hundred different people in the organization have had to be evacuated out of their homes this week due to wildfires in California. And so that doesn't really feel all that great from a preparation standpoint. And as much as we like this Chargers team, they were down seven points to the Jaguars last week. Gardner Minshew had a broken hand, right? Information that I wish I had known before betting on the Jags. But that being said, when you're up seven points like the Jags were, 
you know, I was still feeling pretty good about plus seven and a half in that one. So, you know, did that sort of eventually sort of pile up on the Jags and that's what let the Chargers sort of back into the game. Obviously the fumble on the kick return, you know, major issue as well. And now you're asking the Chargers and Anthony Lynn to be laying points potentially over a field goal on the road against a team that as much as we don't really love what's going on over in Denver and how we're not really buying what, you know, Drew Locke is, is selling us here. You know, this is still a team that, you know, won two weeks ago, uh, won even before that, right? Like they're two and one in their last three. And of course, the one being the, you know, the Chiefs last week. And that's sort of no, no slight on, uh, on them. So, you know, a team that's been competitive, right? Going to Pittsburgh, being in that game, obviously had a very real chance to beat Tennessee in the first week. So as much as I don't really love what they're doing over there, and obviously, you know, the Cortland Sutton thing makes that offense considerably weaker, you know, I watched that game last week against the Chargers with the Jags, and the Jags were just running it absolutely right down the Chargers' throat. And so you can say a lot about the Chargers' defense sort of being able to hang with a lot of these really good teams, but watching, you know, Robinson with the Jags just absolutely do whatever he wanted to, I think the key member in this, and listen, I don't do this often with running backs, but Philip Lindsay. I think Philip Lindsay is a really underrated, really good running back, partly because he can't stay healthy, but I think if he plays in this one, he can do some serious damage. And we might be looking at sort of a low scoring type of game, your 1917 type of thing, 20 to 17 type of thing. And I think Denver's actually really live to catch the Chargers in kind of a down spot, right? Like coming off of a win, which, you know, for the Chargers is kind of a big deal, given the fact that they had lost their previous four games. So for me here, definitely a lean to Denver plus three and a half, but we need to get this number back on the board you know, for that to necessarily be relevant, right? Big loss in the middle of the defense for Denver, where, you know, but is that going to necessarily cost them against a Chargers team who doesn't really have the running game to exploit that in the same way that other teams do? Uh, late games, uh, other late games, I should say, Saints and the Bears here. Give me the Bears, plus four and a half, and here's why. One, you know, classic buy low spot, right? Feels a lot like that Tampa game on a Thursday night, where if you have the Saints and Tampa rated relatively close to each other, I just don't see why this game isn't three in the same way that, say, Denver and the Chargers game is. So, you know, going through the schedule, you sort of look and, you, you know, even in just your mind's eye, you think to yourself, like, does Drew Brees ever play road games? Like, when was the last time he was outdoors? And then you realize that the two road games that they did play were Vegas Dome and Detroit Dome. And otherwise, they've just been at home. So this resume that they've put together with wins against Tampa Bay, obviously a loss to Green Bay, you know, win last week in a relatively close game, certainly a very close game, you know, basically a yard difference between the two teams from a field goal standpoint against Carolina. You know, we've seen Carolina even just in this Thursday night game, and it wasn't exactly like, wow, this team's outstanding. Right. And so this idea that the Saints are really good, I just am not quite buying it. And I think we're getting a point, point and a half here on a weekly basis, especially across key numbers. And so we got seven and a half in a line that probably should have been six. And yet eventually got down to six and a half, crossing that seven. So the market sort of figured it out. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ended up dropping to about three and a half or three as the market sort of figures out that there's kind of too many points here with the Bears team. Now, the one problem here with the Bears is Allen Robinson in concussion protocol. They need him to be in the lineup because two or three times per game, Nick Foles is going to throw it up and hope for the best. And Allen Robinson needs to be there to save the day and make that catch. But Drew Brees hasn't played outdoors. He hasn't played on grass. The man has not touched grass yet 
this season. So when we're talking sort of high-flying offenses and the reliance on Alvin Kamara to make his cuts and do all the weaving that that guy does, and he's incredible at it, but it's a lot easier to do it on the turf inside than it is to do on a cold, windy day in Chicago. So again, another game that I think is going to be relatively low scoring. The total indicates that, right? 43 and a half sort of indicates a 23-20 type of a game. I think it's even a little more low scoring than that, very much like the Tampa game where we're looking at, again, something in the 20 to 19, 20 to 18, 20 to 17 type zone here. Uh, If the Saints pull it off, they win by essentially a touchdown here. I'll tip my cap and I'll be like, impressive effort, but like so much has changed in this game from just an environmental standpoint for the Saints, even with potentially the return of Michael Thomas. I just don't see how we can't take the Bears here and that defense at home you know, against Drew Brees, whose arm strength, again, much maligned, right? And if it's windy at all, could be a couple of ducks here, and all it takes is a couple of interceptions to really turn this game. San Francisco and Seattle here, again, very similar to the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, where you go, man, like, I'd love to take the points here. Like, this seems like a coin flip type game, pick em type game, you know, but these games were that last season when San Francisco was fully healthy, right? Overtime game in San Francisco, I believe that was a Sunday nighter, the last game of the year, a Sunday nighter, don't get me started on that one, right? Being a yard away from a win, Seattle was. And so even at the best of times, this game was a coin flip. Now, how many players are even involved for San Francisco from that game, right? Like not very many relative to this, you know, the fact that it was just last season. So for me, right, one stupid special teams penalty and the Seahawks probably win and they certainly probably cover last week against Arizona, and we're feeling a lot better about the Seattle defense, right? We don't have Chris Collinsworth in overtime talking about how tired Seattle's defense is, right? We don't have um, all of that concern, you know, going forward. And for me, right, the Seattle defense struggles against high pass success offenses, right? Like they're always going to struggle against a Cardinals, for instance, or even a Packers, right? But the 49ers aren't that, right? The dominant win last week did not stem from Jimmy G throwing it all over the yard, which is the type of thing that he's going to need to do here to compete with Seattle. So I like Seattle minus three here. This touched uh, two and a half. Uh, Right now I'm seeing over bet 365, even money minus three. So it is possible that we do see that two and a half come back, especially if a lot of people really like San Francisco the way that they, you know, in theory are inclined to do so. So, um, you know, we missed it last week with San Francisco, but this is, again, a team that I think we're selling high on, and now it's sort of even higher, if you will, this week against Seattle. Dallas and Philadelphia, I can't believe we have to talk about it, but we do. And for the longest time, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this game. I can't believe it's on Sunday night. Can we flex this out? All of that kind of thing. But now we look at the spread. A spread has been, you know, announced. Uh, it looks like Ben DiNucci is in for Dallas. Now, is that an upgrade on Andy Dalton? Is that not an upgrade, right? Like, this is sort of the poor man's Dolphins situation where, you know, we look at that Dolphins game and Tua is in. And is that going to inspire anybody? Well, the answer is maybe. And for Ben DiNucci, is that going to inspire anybody? And the answer there is Maybe. That being said, the Eagles are nine and a half point favorites. So they were nine and a half point favorites this week. They were what? 
four and a half, five point favorites, you know, a week and a half ago against the Giants. We have to decide if this addition with Ben DiNucci and maybe a couple of guys returning on the offensive line, by the way, for the Cowboys, we have to decide if this version of the Cowboys is five points worse on a neutral field than the Giants. The Giants might be, if it weren't for the Jets, the worst team in the entire league, and even in almost beating the Eagles, and should have beat the Eagles last week, weren't exactly showing us all that much, right? And so, how are the Cowboys five points worse than the Giants? And I know they're playing the Eagles, and so you're saying, like, that's, you know, kind of irrelevant or whatever, and maybe this Eagles team has now found something, like the inspiration of those last five minutes against the Giants have pushed them forward. But we're asking them to do a lot more than we asked them to do last week in a big picture type of way. Yes, should they have won that game easily against the Giants? Yes. Like, should we have then been looking to back the Eagles going forward, thinking, like, maybe it can't get any worse Yes, but now we're looking at a bar. Like, the bar is so high. A 10-point win is the expectation now for an Eagles team that you're watching that game going like, this team sucks, <laughs> right? Like, you're doing 55 minutes of that game, and you're going, this team stinks. Like, Carson Wentz has no clue what he's doing out there. And then he throws a couple of incredible throws, and you're just like, God, Carson Wentz, you're killing me out here. But fundamentally, right, like, is that enough to have them as a 10-point essentially a 10-point favorite against another professional football team. Now, the Cowboys may hate the coach and all of that kind of thing, but at least they're professionals, and a lot of them are NFL starters. And maybe Ben DiNucci is not that, but maybe he is. Like, how do we know necessarily? Like, it's not like he was ever going to start for the Cowboys over Dak Prescott, no matter how good he played, right? He could be out there like the second coming of Joe Montana, and they weren't going to start him ahead of Dak. They signed Andy Dalton, you know, sort of before they had ever sort of seen Ben DiNucci in a lot of ways, right? And they were sort of obviously with that signing, they were committed to Andy Dalton as their backup quarterback. Like it would be awfully strange for them to sign Andy Dalton like that, uh, you know, veteran, all kinds of experience, all of that sort of thing, and be like, you're our third string quarterback. Like that wasn't going to happen. And then Ben DiNucci is sitting there, and maybe he's okay, right? Maybe the team likes him. Maybe they'd like him a lot more than Andy Dalton. Like, maybe Andy Dalton people just don't like. Maybe it's not just people watching Andy Dalton that don't like Andy Dalton. Maybe his teammates don't like Andy Dalton. And maybe they like Ben DiNucci. And maybe now that the offensive line's getting a couple of guys back, they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit against a Philly defense that wasn't able to stop Wayne Gallman last week. Right? Like when Wayne Gallman's running wild on you, maybe Ezekiel Elliott could too. And so I'm not necessarily saying that the Cowboys are going to win this game. But like if we woke up on Monday morning and we're like, yeah, the Cowboys won that game. Like Ben DiNucci, yeah, he threw for 220, didn't throw any interceptions. Ezekiel Elliott sort of stormed back here and had 100 yards, you know, helped that the offensive line was a lot better and that the Eagles, even kind of the best of the time, you know, aren't very good defensively, certainly against the run. Carson Wentz made some ridiculously bad throws and, you know, yada, yada, yada all of that stuff happened. Like, would that be that surprising? Like the very next game on Monday night, and these sort of, you know, they're sort of intertwined in a weird way here because again, this one's off the board at the moment because of COVID stuff with the Giants, but that number was 10 and a half, 11. And yeah, like Tampa Bay is on the road here and it's against the Giants, but aren't the Giants just kind of at this point as good as the Cowboys and the Eagles? Like, 
aren't they all just kind of roped in together? Haven't we been talking about that for the last couple of weeks? And the Bucks, a really good Bucks team who we think can go to the Super Bowl, is about 10-point favorites. A little bit more, but about 10-point favorites against the Giants. And all of these games are essentially on neutral fields. Like, maybe there's one point of home field advantage for the Eagles. But, like, what have we seen from the Eagles at home to make us even think that, right? Like, getting beat up by the Rams, probably should have lost to the Giants, all of that type of stuff, right? And so, you know, getting beat up on, you know, by the Ravens. Sure, they came back to sort of make that cosmetically interesting and almost tied the game. But still, like, what have we seen to think that the Eagles have some great home field advantage? Really more, it's sort of a disadvantage for the Cowboys not being on their usual track. So, my point is is that the Buccaneers are 10 point favorites and that's a good team like that's a team that should have to jump the high bar of a double digit spread like all of these double digit spreads that happen week to week you know the vast majority of them are Ravens Chiefs Bucks you know Saints even sometimes like all of those you know theoretically good teams and now all of a sudden the Eagles are lumped in with a requirement to jump that high bar as double-digit favorites, or very near to, to it, right? Like needing to win by 10 to cover this number. I just think that's ridiculous. And if you're th sort of thinking of betting the Jets because the number's too high or because you're getting a ton of points, I mean, I think you can steer clear of that one, but I think you have to bet the Cowboys at this point at plus nine and a half. Now, I understand if maybe it's artificially enhanced in part because they don't want to leave teaser vulnerability right eight and a half down you know gets teased down to two and a half and now all of a sudden you've got this eagles team you can fade the cowboys at minus two and a half you know and start moving other spreads around i get that but i'll take advantage of that and if this thing touches 10 i'm all over the cowboys and i say all over the cowboys as if it's some sort of exciting thing that i want to do but moreover it's just like you have to bet that at plus 10 and I'll even try it on the money line. Because again, if I like him plus 10, then at plus 325 on the money line, I'll take my chances and see what happens. And you never know, right? It's football. Carson Wentz could get hurt. He, there's a bunch of scenarios in which that's a sort of a likely, or not likely, but at least a possible option. Or moreover, it's possible he just fumbles the ball once and throws two interceptions. All of these things are in play. And when we're talking about a high bar like nine and a half points with, frankly, a bad football team... I don't care who it is, I'll take Dallas plus the nine and a half. And I watched that game against Washington, Dallas, right? I know how bad it looked. But for me, too many points here. Um, I'll take this thing starting 0 0. I'll take nine and a half with the Cowboys. Tampa Bay and the New York Giants. Again, off the board because of all the COVID stuff. We can talk more about this on Monday because I don't think there's any sort of reason to include this game in anything that we do, right? Like, there's no reason to tease it. I'm certainly not grabbing the Giants on the money line, not doing any of those things. But if this thing reopens 11, 11 and a half, I will take the Giants on Monday and I'll wait right until the end. And we'll talk about this more on Monday to see what kind of number I can possibly get on the Giants. Do I think the Giants are good? I do not. Um, but this just is a spot where, and again, we'll talk more about it on Monday, where Tampa Bay, again, having to jump the high bar in a game that like is not exactly a circle on the calendar type of game for them. Um, I'll take my chances with the Giants. We'll see what kind of number we can get on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Follow me at MRussAuthentic on Twitter for college football plays, in-game bets, and general sarcasm about these teams we bet on. Until Sunday, I'll see you at the window.